We're going to begin our reading in 2 Chronicles chapter 9 with the first verse and read down through verse 12. 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 1, the scripture says, And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, she came to prove Solomon with hard questions at Jerusalem with a very great company and camels that bear spices and gold in abundance and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all her questions. And there was nothing hid from Solomon which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon and the house that he had built and the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants and the attendance of his ministers and their apparel, his cupbearers also and their apparel and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. And she said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in mine own land of thine acts and of thy wisdom. Albeit I believed not their words until I came and mine eyes had seen it. And behold, the one half of the greatness of thy wisdom was not told me. For thou exceedest the thing that I heard. Happy are thy men. And happy are these thy servants which stand continually before thee and hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighteth in thee to set thee on his throne, to be king for the Lord thy God, because thy God loved Israel to establish them forever. Therefore made he thee king over them to do judgment and justice. And she gave the king an hundred and twenty talents of gold and of spices great abundance and precious stones. Neither was there any such spice as the queen of Sheba gave King Solomon. And the servants also of Huram and the servants of Solomon which brought gold from Ophir brought algum trees and precious stones. And the king made of the algum trees, terraces to the house of the Lord and to the king's palace and harps and psalteries for singers. And they, there were none such seen before in the land of Judah. And King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all her desire whatsoever she asked beside that which she had brought unto the king. So she turned and went away to her own land, she and her servants. And now over to Luke chapter 11, Luke 11 and verse 31. We have the words of the Lord Jesus being spoken here as he would make a testimony of himself. He says there in verse 31, the queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the utmost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon 
is here. I want us to think on those words at the end of verse 31 that the Lord Jesus says, a greater than Solomon is here. Before we go further, let's just ask the Lord to meet with us. Father in heaven, now we would pray that you will bless the word of God. We pray that you will take it yourself and allow the spirit of God to speak through it to us of the Lord Jesus, of his greatness, but also of his glory and his perfect acceptance with thyself concerning all his work and all his person so that he is now glorified beyond description. Lord, we pray that you will let him be precious to us, his work precious to us. Lord, we pray that you will let us be those who understand. Give us ears to hear. Lord, bless this time. Give the help of the Holy Ghost, we pray for the preaching and the hearing of the word of God. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As I have been reading through the book of Second Chronicles this past week, the description of Solomon's kingdom proves fascinating. In chapter 9, it speaks of the visit of the Queen of Sheba to Jerusalem to interview Solomon and witness the splendor of his kingdom. Her reaction as expressed in that chapter tells a great deal about the astounding magnificence that she saw. It says there that when the Queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon in the house that he built and all the things that went with it, there was no more spirit in her. Now that statement does not mean that she became jealous or that she became unable to function mentally. It simply means that she was so overwhelmed by what she saw that she could not form any outward expression of what was in her mind. She was speechless. She was overcome with awe. The magnificence and the glory she witnessed were beyond anything that could have ever been perceived or imagined. She was, I'll put it this way, she was held prisoner to her sense of awe. And when she does regain the ability to express herself, the words of verses 5 and 6 are her conclusive thoughts there. Where she said, and she said to the king, it is a true report which I heard in mine own land of thine acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit I believed not their words until I came and mine eyes had seen it. And behold, the one half of the greatness of thy kingdom was not told me. For thou exceedest the fame that I heard. She had not one half of an idea of what King Solomon was really like. Well, let me say this. Her statement there was in reality an overestimation of her previous thoughts. She did not have a shred of an idea what she would see. The immensity of the glory of Israel's king was 
unknowable until seen. I want you to consider what we have read. I want you to consider with me the glory of Solomon in your mind for a moment. Consider that nothing like the splendor of his reign had ever been seen before and has not since. Here in this time, you have what we would have to call the pinnacle of human glory. Nothing has ever been greater or as gloriously beautiful in the existence or in the time of men as Solomon's existence, his reign, his kingdom. But at this point, set beside your consideration the words of the Lord Jesus that he offers in our text. His words are very plain and yet to our eyes hard to grasp. A greater than Solomon is here. How is that? He says that his glory and the splendor of his reign far outpaces Solomon's. But think with me, the Lord Jesus was meek and lowly. He was without any lands or any gold. He had no place even to lay his head. How could his kingdom surpass that of Solomon? Well, I would seek to prove this morning, and I suggest to you that the glory of the Lord Jesus was not the glory of what he had, but who he was. Christ's glory was not what he had, but who he was. This morning, I want us to consider two points only. I want us to make what I'm calling an outward comparison. And then I want us to think on what I'm calling an upward comparison. I want us to think about how Solomon, in what we've read here in 2 Chronicles 9, would compare to the person of the Lord Jesus. There were many glorious things that were said about Solomon and his reign that make him completely unique. Yet we cannot assign to him the label superlative. For that alone belongs to the Lord Jesus. So let's make an outward comparison here of what we see, of what we've read, of what we know to be true about Solomon. And then let's consider the Lord Jesus in the light of that. And I've got just a handful of things I want us to consider under this point. First, I want you to think with me about his words, Solomon's words. It says in 2 Chronicles 9 and 1 that the queen of Sheba came to Solomon to prove him with many hard questions. In other words, the queen of Sheba had come to Solomon to put him to the test. Now I would have to imagine 
that some of the questions were not the sort where she wanted to know the answer to something she had always wondered about. I think that these questions, at least to start with, were questions that were meant to expose ignorance or prideful arrogance. Hard questions. Let's see if you can get this one. She came to prove him. But it says of Solomon that he answered all her questions. He was not at all baffled. The answers to what she would ask came easy. And as a result, the comment is further made that the queen then communed with Solomon of all that was in her heart. Now the whole framework changes. No longer is it just a, I'm going to see if I can, you know, get you with some really, really hard question about science or some such thing. Now it became intensely personal. She opened her heart and started talking to him about difficulties and troubles and fears and things that were on her heart that she saw that troubled her. She discerned that he was a man of wisdom who had good understanding. And she poured out her heart. And it says that Solomon also answered her. There was nothing that was hid but what Solomon would answer for. Now, let me stress this. Solomon answered what was in her heart. Solomon did not solve what was in her heart. There's a large difference there. All that Solomon spoke was that which was of his own understanding, given by God, of course. And all that Solomon spoke was that, uh, and that was of a lasting value, was given him by the Holy Spirit. His were good words, but his were not heavenly words by themselves. It took the inspiration of the Holy Ghost to cause Solomon to be able to offer things that were, you'd say, inspired of God. Things that we can say, this is absolute truth. But whose words, we might ask, or like the Lord Jesus' words. Think with me. John 1, we read it to begin with. John 1 and 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The glory of the Lord Jesus was not what he had. Even the wisdom's that made him one of a kind among men. The glory of the Lord Jesus was that he came from the Father. It was who he was. In Hebrews chapter 1, it tells us that the Lord Jesus was the express image of the Father. He came bearing the words of the Father. John 14, verse 10. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. But the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Oh, the words that the Lord Jesus spoke were words that were given from heaven. 
that were that was in him because of who he was oh you think about the words of Christ what did the words of Christ do what Solomon's words could not do the Lord's words healed the sick the Lord's words raised the dead the Lord's words forgave the fallen he was the light of the world and is and that brings the truth of God his words were such that when he was set upon by the officers sent from the high priests those officers returned to the high priests without him in their custody and the question of course was made to them why don't you bring him and they said the officers said of the Lord Jesus in John 7 and 46 the officers answered never man spake like this man there was a difference about the words of Christ they were unlike any other words that any man ever spoke when you hear the words of Christ you hear all that your soul needs but also you hear the glory of heaven in his words if you have ears to hear his words are unlike any others his words were far greater in what they were and in what they did than Solomon's secondly consider with me Solomon's wisdom you know I think you would have to say that the wisdom that Solomon was given of God was his greatest gift the scriptures tell us of Solomon and his wisdom that there was none like him before nor has there been any like him since and you have to say that yes Solomon's wisdom was God given but it was limited to what a fallen man can understand certainly Solomon knew where the beginning of wisdom was for he said so in Proverbs the beginning of wisdom is what the fear of God Solomon knew wisdom had wisdom but here's the point to be made Christ Jesus is wisdom he is wisdom first first Corinthians 1 and 30 but of him are ye in Christ Jesus who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption understand the Lord Jesus is not just the giver of wisdom the wisdom in him is the wisdom of God itself he is wisdom he is one who has the wisdom of God to succeed he knows all that was needed to redeem and to keep a fallen sinner he is God's wisdom well my word to you this morning just simply on that point this as Christ Jesus is the wisdom of God you are to rest in him you are ready to rest in who he is and what he is doing you to hear him speak to your heart it is I be not afraid and all these things that you find yourself looking at you can commune with him of your heart and you will find in him the one who can actually affect the situation affect your heart affect all that it concerns 
The third thing I want you to see with me that the Queen of Sheba comments on about Solomon and how he is unlike anything she could ever imagine was, it says in verse 4, his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord. Yes, we're told that one aspect of Solomon's kingdom that proved breathtaking to the Queen of Sheba was how Solomon ascended up to the temple of God to worship. And here we have to say, we are in utter ignorance of what that means. We have no idea what that entailed. Was there music? Was there offerings? Was there any sort of outward ceremonial rites that were being performed? The answer to those questions is it's completely unknowable. We don't understand what that really says. But I will say this, no matter what it was, no matter how glorious it seemed and how wonderful it was to behold, Solomon's ascent up to the house of God must be marked as absolutely meaningless if all the ascent of the moment was how Solomon and his progression appeared. If, it's what, if she saw all these things and said, wow, he is something, and this is, this is a magnificent scene, then it's meaningless. There's no power in that. There's nothing to that. There was nothing in that alone. But here's my point. What made the ascent glorious is the right and true exaltation of God in it. It was the Lord being worshipped that made the moment glorious. It was all the Lord. Now let me say this. This is an important lesson about worship. If the Lord is not only central, but all in worship, we do not worship aright. If it's all about the trappings, if it's all about how it appears, if it's all about how it excites men as they look on it, it's all wrong. The glory of the moment was the Lord was in what Solomon was doing. And it was the glory of the Lord that was reflected in Solomon's ascent. It was not Solomon's ascent alone. My question, though, to you is this. What would you say that ascent would be? Even in this most wonderful moment, how would that compare to Revelation chapter 5? You know it's there. The Lord Jesus has now gone to the throne where he sits beside the, at the right hand of God. And what does heaven do? Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and honor and glory and Oh, the glory of the ascent of Christ was not how he went, but because of who he is. Who he is. Heaven cannot keep from glorifying Christ because of who he is. He is much greater than Solomon. Solomon was a reflector. Christ was the reality. I have to say one 
when we listen to the Messiah each time we listen to it multiple times through the year. I think my favorite part is when you get to the end and they sing, Worthy is the Lamb. Oh, isn't it the hallelujah? I get excited. I love the hallelujah chorus and I love other parts of it, but it's worthy is the Lamb. You say, why is that? Because I think maybe that someday they'll let me join that chorus too. When I'm there, worthy is the Lamb. Well, there's another comparison. The Queen of Sheba comments about the happiness of the servants in verse 4. Solomon's servants wore stunning clothes. In fact, it mentions it twice. Their apparel. There was, it must, there was something to be seen how these people were clothed. And beyond that, her comment was that they are absolutely happy in their roles. There was utter dedication to the good of the kingdom. Well, how then can you say anything can be compared to that? Well, let me just mention this to you. And I ask the question, what do Christ's servants wear? They wear what the Lord wears. In this earth, it says that we will wear suffering and we will wear toiling and persecution and those Marks of being in Christ Jesus. For it is given unto you not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Where is the glory in all that? The glory is in this. That when we see Christ, we not only will wear the apparel of servants, but it says, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We will be as the Lord Jesus. We will wear his righteousness. What peril is more glorious than that? We will wear the dress of the bride without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. What is like that though we must be those who bear the marks of Christ in us in this world what we will be wearing and how we will be rejoicing when we see Christ there's no comparison there is no comparison a greater than Solomon is Christ but also I, I noticed one other thing, and that was when we think about um, the power of prayer. The power of prayer. Now, when you look back at 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 1, it says about Solomon and his prayer to God as they dedicated the temple. Now, when Solomon had made an end of praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house and the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the house. That is a mighty prayer. 
When Solomon prayed, fire came down from heaven and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. This was an unimaginable thing. You and I cannot begin to get our minds around that. Those that witnessed that were so overwhelmed that they fell on their faces and the scripture says they worshiped. But you think about it as it reflected back to Solomon. You know, Solomon would have been immensely revered from that moment by all those in his kingdom. Our king prayed and heaven brought down fire and the glory of God filled the temple. Hmm. My point to you is this, but consider, consider the Lord Jesus in his prayers and consider the Lord Jesus in his words, not in a moment of the glorious dedication of the temple I would rather have you think upon the words of the Lord Jesus rather in his moment of agony on the cross. He offers three words that show how infinitely greater than Solomon he is. For the Lord Jesus in the moment of his deepest agony says the words, it is finished. Do you understand that that did not bring down fire from heaven? Rather, he lifted everlasting fire from his people and to, bore it to himself and bore it away. He did not receive the reverence of men. Rather, they mocked him. But it says that he received, though, heaven's adoration. For in that moment was not a cloud that filled the temple, but the finger of God that tore open the veil to the holiest that sinners might come to God. Solomon's was a display of the power and the might of God. Christ's prayer was that which brought men, sinful men, into the presence of God, and that everlastingly, a greater than Solomon is here. These are some outward ways in which Solomon was looked at, and you'd have to say, certainly, there was nobody that was like him. This is awe-inspiring, but he's not to be compared to the Lord Jesus, even in an outward sense. But I want you to think about what I'm going to call the upward comparison. The upward comparison. All glory, honor, praise, and greatness must have a foundation. There must be an underlying reason and cause for the existence of glory and honor and reverence and praise. We've got some silly notions in our, in our day. A silly notion, uh, and I'll just say it for what it is. Some would say, I deserve honor and respect because I am. My reply to that is, you are what? It appears that many today don't know. But the thought is, simply existing demands honor. Well, I will say that simply existing demands being treated decently, but it is no cause for honor. 
God gave Solomon a foundation for what God did with Solomon. There was a reason why all of this was seen. And that reason, that foundation, was a covenant. It was a covenant that Solomon himself lifted back to the Lord as a plea for the Lord to touch his heart. Because of this covenant, O God, then do in me, bring to me, help me. If you look at 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verses 41 and 42, you have what I'm referring to. Solomon, in, praise, in praying to the Lord, says, Now therefore arise, O Lord God, into thy resting place, thou in the ark of thy strength. Let thy priests, O Lord, be clothed with salvation, and let thy servants rejoice in goodness. O Lord God, turn not away the face of thine anointed. Remember the mercies of David, thy servant. He is referring back to the covenant that was made with David. The covenant that the Lord made saying that David would have continuously a man to sit upon the throne of David. I want you to understand that the covenant that Solomon refers to has absolutely nothing to do with Solomon himself. The Lord blessed on the basis of a love that God had for David. In fact, it was David's prayer for Solomon that carried the weight before God. If you look at 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 19, you hear David praying for Solomon. And he says, And give unto Solomon my son a perfect heart to keep thy commandments, thy testimonies, and thy statutes, and do all these things and to build the palace for which I have made provision. David prayed for Solomon. David had a covenant with God on the basis of a covenant that had nothing to do with Solomon himself per se. The Lord blessed and established and answered the prayer of David. Solomon's honor, his glory was based on a covenant. I want you to see also the foundation of the glory of the Lord Jesus is also on a covenant. It was a covenant made before the foundation of the world. And let me just simply say this as a by the way. If you, start, if you don't start your thinking of the Bible with this foundational truth of the covenant that was between father and son before the foundation of the world and that as the foundation upon which everything else that you read in the scripture is based, then you will never understand the Bible rightly. You will not understand creation. You will not understand salvation. You will not understand all the works that Christ has done in sanctifying and glorifying the people of God. You will not understand judgment rightly. The covenant that existed with the Lord Jesus was the eternal covenant that the Lord Jesus would redeem a people that the Father would give to him. The covenant was based on the perfect and pure fulfillment of all God's demands by Christ that those he came to seek and save would be saved everlastingly. But the covenant with Christ was the covenant that was based on him. 
It was a covenant that was founded on him. And he fulfilled all of the covenant that was made everlastingly before the foundation of the world. He is so much greater than Solomon because of the essence of the covenant that existed and his perfect performance thereof. Oh, Solomon was a mere foreshadow of the glorious king. You might ask, just as a by the way, what, was, what do you think was sung when Solomon ascended up to the temple? When he went up in those moments that filled the queen of Sheba with awe, what was it that they were singing, do you think? Well, I would think that perhaps one of the things that was sung was what we read in Psalm 24. But I would think that even as you go through that, that you would be reminding yourself of who that refers to. What is it? You say, well, what was that? Well, Psalm 24, verse 7, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. You say, oh, that's Solomon. No, it's not. Who is this king of glory? Here's the answer. The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Selah. Solomon was a reflection and a dim one at that. Solomon simply spoke of the glory of Christ Jesus. A glory that is founded upon his successful work of saving his people from their sin by dying in their place, bearing their sins, that all that would call upon the name of the Lord in his name would be saved. You say, well, what does all this mean to me? You say, he's, he's greater than Solomon. Where, where's the application to me? How does this affect my everyday life? I just want you to just think of it in this one simple application. Though the Lord Jesus is unknowably glorious to us in this day, still in this day, he can be touched. He can be met with. He can find all things that our souls need and apply them to us by his mercies. Or as John 1 and 1 said, that which was from the beginning, that which we heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life, we can come to the Lord Jesus. Though he be high and lifted up, yet he is able to be reached. And all the sure mercies that are spoken of, the sure mercies of David, which again were a reflection of the sure mercies that are in Christ Jesus, are ours. We can come to him and find all that our souls need. He is far greater than Solomon. Well, amen. May the Lord bless the word to our hearts for Jesus' sake. Let's pray. Father in heaven, now we would pray that you will let us hear what the Spirit would say to our hearts concerning the Lord Jesus. Lord, bless 
Lord, to take for our heart's needs by showing us again how fully, how completely, and how wonderfully we have the answer for all that our souls needs in the person of Christ Jesus. Lord, let us believe on him. Let us hold to him. Let us trust in him. Let us seek to him. Oh, God, we pray that thou wilt then prove to us that we can, in fact, indeed touch the very heart of God through Christ Jesus. Bless now the words of thy word to our souls for Jesus' sake. We pray in his name. Amen.